All right. It was interesting. Uh, Will and I, and he may be like, Dad, don't be talking about this. But we had a conversation last night that was, um, I, I was trying to communicate to him that he can, like, talk to me. Like, he can open up anything that he might be dealing with, thinking about, struggling with, that he can talk to me. And that, and I realize, like, sometimes, like, we forget to say that to one another, you know? Both to our children or to a friend. Like, it's okay for things not to be okay. That, that's just part of it. And it, it's okay. And really, you should be the kind of person where somebody could come to you and know that it never left you. Like, y'all are, you can talk to me, and, and you can bring that to me. And, and it's, it's something, and I, not only that, like, I, I want to help you with that. And, and I, I, not, I, I want to help you, like, fight against it. I want to help you, like, crush the lies I want you to know you can come. I'm saying to him, as his father, you can come to me, we'll dialogue about it, and I'm gonna, we're going to deal with that. And, and um, I was thinking about that because this morning, if you're like me, oftentimes when I'm thinking about um, praying to God, I, I do have to deal with like, okay, can I go to him? Why can I go to him? And what do I go to him with? Like, what would it be? What would be fitting? Um, sometimes I'm praying about un- unwanted desires, and I'm like, take those away. You know, sometimes it's like unwarranted fears. Take them away. Like, let me just get this, you know. Um, and then sometimes it's like, I know this is a good desire. This is something I want to see. For myself, for the church, we, we want to. We're, we're going to push these forward, Lord, and we're begging you to do what only you can do about those things. Some of you probably uh, have woke up at night or in the morning to those concerns or desires, or you know. And like I said, sometimes it's stuff like, "Lord, get this away from me," and then sometimes it's like, "Lord, let me gravitate towards it. Let me move towards it." So today, Paul's really going to be praying for the things that he really wants the church to move forward in. That's what he's going to be doing. And, and, and it's important to understand that the Lord delights. He delights in hearing. He delights in you coming. It's a sign that you're trusting in him and not yourself. It's a sign that you know only he can do the things that he can do. And so, um, as you know, again, and even sometimes I notice it may be like a special time, but it may just be like I, my heart is moving towards the Lord, longing for him to do something. may not ever verbalize it, right? And we want to learn how to pray, pray well. We do see here, Paul, uh, with some structure and some focus, and I think it's very, uh, very important. Paul's been explaining the work that God has done in this new people, and then he discusses his own involvement in it, and then he's going to pray that they would just kind of see and understand and grasp uh, what it means to live in light of these things. So uh, two things that kind of come up in Paul's uh, writings, oftentimes you'll see in his letters, 
There will be an emphasis on your position and on your practice. He'll say, this is who you are in Christ. It's a grace you've received. Now walk in that. So it's uh, very important. And, And what happens sometimes is some people think of Christianity as practice. And the position thing's kind of secondary. So they'll say, it's all about doing. It has nothing to do with who you are or your being. It's just about doing. And so they think of it kind of that way. Uh, some people will say, you know what? Like, I just live in grace and it never, like, activates into, like, life. It's never tied to any walk or whatever. But you see this balance of position and practice, of being and doing, and that's something you will see throughout. And, and what's so beautiful is that Paul's going to have that pattern, and then he's really going to be praying that into people's lives. Both positional things, this is what you know, and practical things, this is how you live. All of those are steeped in grace. All of those are with the understanding that it is grace that allows your mind to grasp and your hands to interact and live and walk in. In Paul's first prayer in this book, he is emphasizing knowledge that you know. In this second prayer, he emphasizes the power needed to live that knowledge. I mean, that, that's really, really helpful. I, I mean, it really is. Like, if you stop and consider that, he starts emphasizing knowledge that you would understand, that you would grasp, and then he prays that you would walk in and experience the fullness of the power to live out what you know. That, that's, that's really like if you're trying to pray Uh, for someone um, uh, as a Christian or as a believer, as a church, you're you're going to, it's kind of like Paul pleads with the believers to respond to what God has provided, and then he pleads with God to motivate them to walk in what he's provided. Again, that will help you in the Christian life. That, That helps you. If you're trying to train somebody or help somebody grow up, and hopefully all of you are, uh, in, in, in the faith, you're trying to help, you know, you're discipling uh, people, different levels, different times, different places. But as you're discipling people, you're saying, this is what we know. This is how we live. Grace is needed for all of that. And so we pray that God would help us know more fully and live more fully what we know. That's basically all that you do in disciple making. You're like, well, that seems pretty simple. Well, I mean, I wish it were simple all the time. It's not all. Sometimes I'm like, I face something, and I'm talking to somebody, and I'm thinking like, God, I don't even know where to go there. But again, we're just, we're, we're keeping on. That's why we stay with the foundations. We stay with the basics, and we work those and work those and work those um, together. So let's, let's move into this text and kind of see this unfold. Verse 14, for this reason... Now, what are the reasons? You, you could, he says reason, so you may say, well, that's just one reason. But, but I think it's like the reasons tied to the first chapters there, the first three chapters. You could say something like this. Since you are spiritually alive, for that reason, chapter 2, verses 
4 through 6. Or since we are his workmanship, for that reason. Or since we are fellow citizens with the saints, for that reason. Or since we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Or since we are built together in the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Since all those things are true, for this reason, we, we move forward in this. We pray this, or I'm praying this, or I'm going before the Father now. Because I know all these things are true. I thought I might just stop and say, in this prayer, it has a Trinitarian focus. Which is what we saw in the last prayer. Which is what we have seen throughout this text. Like That's another just aspect of it. It's like you're looking at the whole God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we are seeing how they are at work in this. But he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This was a rare kind of thing for a Jewish person to do. They often stood, if, we, if I understand that correctly, uh, when, they're, when they're praying. But this kind of maybe has the idea of dignity and authority. Uh, and, and at the same time, intimacy. So he's speaking of him as Father, but he's bowing before him as Lord. If, if you've ever studied much about worship in the church... Some people will be like, I don't really need to study about worship. I just know when I feel it, you know. And you're like, well, okay. But like, if you were to think about worship, what is worship? What, what is that? Well, there is a transcendent part of worship and an imminent part. What does that mean? It means that there's this aspect of God being holy, separate from us, king of the universe, creator and lord of everything. I don't come in like lackadaisical and be like, oh yeah, I can enter into his presence however I want to, whatever I, you know, whatever, you know, uh, and, and, and just like my buddy, you know, that kind of, we don't do that. He is holy God, while at the same time there's this eminence. Like, I do enter in. He is my Father. I have this personal aspect of knowing Him. And so I think you see both of those. He knows Him as Father, but He's bowing before Him as Father. There's a respect and an intimacy that kind of presents itself here. And and we would do good to learn from that, right? From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. When, When He says family... In naming here, we were talking about this uh, last night at the dinner table. I, I was like, I think it was last night, but I was like, or maybe it was yesterday at lunch. And I was like, I, how did Benjamin end up with his name? And I was like, you don't remember that? I was like, no. And she was like, well, Ben House, of course. No, I'm just kidding. But she, she was like, uh, well, um, remember you were preaching and you were talking about that? I just really felt like, man, Benjamin is the name for that second boy. I was like, no, I don't remember that. But I'm glad he's named Benjamin. But I, I think it's important. Just mess with Benjamin. Don't get mad at me. Where is he? Is he listening to me? About? Okay. When, um, uh, when, we, when we say, like, the naming of someone, we're speaking of that, he, he's saying it's kind of like the idea of being brought into existence, exercising dominion, giving an appropriate role, All of that stuff, which you think about in the garden with Adam and Eve, naming the animals, all of that, though, is kind of tied to this fatherly aspect of like, of accomplishing that, of doing that. So he's coming before the one who has named people, really, from every family in heaven and on earth. Now, what does he mean there? I think he's speaking of the family of God, and I think he's speaking of those who have 
went on to heaven and those who are presently on earth. And in that concept, he is saying, in light of your fatherly care, I'm coming before you. To the God of the living and the dead in Christ, I'm praying in light of that. To the one who rules and governs over the whole world and everything in it, and who is father of all of the living and dead in Christ, I bow before you and I'm coming to ask you a question. I'm begging you to do something. I'm making petition. There's two petitions here. That God might strengthen us with power through His Spirit in the inner man and that we might have that power to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. So let's look at that first one. That God might strengthen us with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Notice what it says. He says, he starts out, I'm bow before the Father from whom every family on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory that He might grant this. So what are the, what's the idea there? The riches of his glory. Like in light of his majesty, the weightiness of it, the insurmountable value of it, in light of your glory, like in light of these limitless resources from chapter 1, you can look back at verses 18 and 9, in light of that, I'm coming before you and asking you to provide from your limitless resources that you would provide. When you think about God's glory, even in like Ephesians, I mean, in Exodus, it's kind of loaded with that where God's glory is on display. You see his glory when he crushed the Egyptians. You saw his glory and his grandeur as he sets upon the mountain. We see his glory as he fills the tabernacle and then later the temple. His glory is on display. And Isaiah 6, 3, it says the whole earth is filled with his glory. So in light of this glorious God, who's wonder, the wonder of who he is in his greatness, in light of that, I come before you. He's basically saying, Father, I know that all the riches of heaven are at your disposal. So would you strengthen them? Through the Spirit, by the Spirit, that they they may get this, that they may understand and, and be strong and courageous in you, that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner being. It, it's it's um. We should be praying that for one another. It, you should never cease to say, Lord. Let them be strengthened from within. Listen, Christianity is is about the internal man being strengthened so that the external man will function in a certain way. I mean, that's kind of like what you see. He is as he moves within, as he transforms within. That's what we're longing for. That's what you should long for for your husband, wife, children, friends, church. You should long to see that take place. He says in the inner being, you kind of think about yourself like, how often do you spend time on your outer man? I mean, different people do different things, right? Some people spend a lot of time thinking about the external. Their life is built around the external or the physical. I mean, I don't know how many, most of you probably wouldn't say, you know, when I pray for my kids, I pray that they would take care of the outer man. I pray that like they would look a certain way. 
God make them dress in a certain way and carry themselves in a certain way? May when they put on makeup this morning, Lord, they spread it perfectly. Does anybody do that? You're like, are you kidding me? He's saying you're praying for the inner man to be strengthened. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, Train yourself for the purpose of godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and the one to come. What he's saying is, it's not, there's nothing wrong. I mean, I, I, I am, uh, I think it's, you know, has a lot of value. I mean, at some level, some value, let's say, to bodily training. But it is secondary to true spiritual training. And, and we have to really consider that. And we have to say, okay, what spiritual exercise plan? And this is what's so crazy. Is that people will watch their diet in a certain way. They will figure out a good exercise plan. Maybe even have somebody that will train them. You know, like help them along the way. And, and like you could make a long list of all the things that they do to ensure their, their physical body is in tip-top shape. If you say, well, hold on just a second. Give that 20% of your time. Give your inner man 80% of the time. They'll be like, what are you talking about? Legalist. You're a legalist. You know, no, but, but it's like we just have to understand that we, are, we want to train the inner man. And Paul's praying for that to be the case. And we should pray that for one another. And we should long to see that in our hearts and our lives and the lives of other people. And that's what he is praying for. Paul prays in Philippians 3, uh, or he, he speaks of this in Philippians 3, 10 through 11. He says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection make and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's, the, it's a driving passion in his life. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18, speaks of this. It says, Though our outer man or outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul understood that he was preparing himself. For the future, this physical body of this age is decaying, but he is wanting to be renewed internally. And maybe you've seen somebody in your life where you think a uh, Christian person where you're watching them as life goes forward. And you'll, you can see the difference. Someone who is invested in the inner man, the older they get, the more they look more like the Lord. And the more you're like, good night, that's captivating versus someone who hasn't spent much time there. In the end, you watch them and they become more hardened and more cynical and more ugly and more just negative. And you're like, what happened? Well, what happened was it's paying off. Right? And just like somebody who's eaten well and exercised well or whatever, maybe their heart's in better shape. So someone who's done the spiritual disciplines, their heart's in a better shape as time goes on. And you see, in a, in a sense, it is growing. Actually, it's not getting worse. It's getting better. 
So Paul's praying for this, that they would be strengthened within the inner man so that what, even though the physical earthly man may be decaying, they're, they're becoming, they're almost growing into giants of the faith as they move forward. Because they're, they're, there's all kinds of things coming. That's what's so wonderful is that when like trouble comes, which Paul talks about that, when the trouble comes, and, and he, here he is in prison, when trouble comes and the winds and the waves and the crashing down and all this stuff of life come, as they progress, they're the people you run over there and say, well, I'll stand next to them because they'll be standing at the end of this. I don't know how many of you saw like after uh, this last hurricane, this guy had built his house to withstand a hurricane and his house was still standing. I mean, I don't know what he spent for that house, but literally like the hurricane came through and everything around it was gone and his house was still standing. Why is that? Because it had what it needed inside. There was a strength there It had been built and prepared for that. And that's kind of, you're living the Christian life seeking to do that, to be strengthened. And um, I think that's very, very, very important. So, let's keep moving here. The second thing we see is that they may have the power to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. So let's just kind of look at that. We see, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love may may have strength, to comprehend with all the saints was the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's, it's the power to grasp His love. Its purpose is to enable us to grasp the limitless dimensions of Christ's love that, so that they may adequately appreciate the love of Christ and live in light of that and show that to others and bless people with it. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's the idea of tasting that the Lord is good, that they may drink deeply from the well of the love of Christ, and that may impact the way that they live. May they be rooted and grounded in love. I had a guy a few years ago, like uh, I asked him about um, the little uh, raised beds we had at our house. I said, what's happening here? I can't seem to grow anything. There wasn't, uh, there's too many trees around there so that the sun was only like hitting those plants a certain amount of hours in a day. And he says, I don't think your roots are getting to grow deep enough. And because your roots are not growing deep enough, uh, the result is you're not producing fruit, you know. So I throw a fit, go out there and just, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Cut down to all my neighbor's trees you know, at night. Uh, they're like waking up like, is somebody running a chainsaw? You know, what's, no. Really, I just like, um, I just kind of said, well, I think I'm going to go to Walmart, pick up the vegetables and we'll be good, you know. But, uh, but, but, but the picture here that you may be rooted and grounded in love is that kind of an agrarian thing where you're anchoring down roots deeply. Um, th- there's a picture of kind of a foundation, a stability. Uh, it's almost like you want the foundation laid and set properly. Uh, uh, just recently, we were looking, uh, because we're getting kind of excited about Tacos for Life coming here, and the boys, when we were driving by there, I'm like, oh my goodness, look at what's happening. So they 
put the dirt out and they smooth it all out. And of course, they're going to do soil samples. And I talked to Matt Landis and I was like, tell me about it, Matt. Tell me about the foundation. And he kind of like explains that some to me, you know, and we were looking at it being built. But the foundation, if it's wrong, there's real problems, right? And so he's saying that they may be rooted and grounded in love, that they may be dominated by the love of God in Christ. That, that, that The weight of that, when someone really grasps that, it changes everything. And so it's, it's wanting them to see and experience and understand it. So some people would say, what does he mean? Why does Paul use this kind of illustration about love? I've, I've read before people say it this way. The breadth of God's love in Christ is both uh, to the Jew and Gentile. It means it, it expands the whole world. Like it, it reaches out across that both that's one of the themes in Ephesians the length is the the idea of being chosen in Ephesians 1 before the foundation of the world that God did this that he chose to save a people for himself the height is God's blessing us with every spiritual blessing in Christ and raised us to be seated with him so you say it's for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's from before the foundation of the world, and it has carried us into the heavenly places. And then the depth is God's reaching down in our depravity and in our death and sin and pulling us out. So that you can sit and meditate on that all of your life. And the deeper your, your I guess, meditations on that and grasp of that, the greater the activity will be to uh, live in light of it. Your Christianity based in knowing the love of Christ, trans, it, it changes the way that you act and live and walk. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, he's basically saying like, there, there are things that you just, you can't even comprehend it. There, there, there's a depth there that's like unsearchable. It, it's, it's like, man, even if you said... Jared, I've I, I plumbed the depths of Christ's love. You, you might say, I think I've been 150 feet down to see it and savor it. And, and, it, and I might say, look, add a thousand to that. You say, I don't have time. In, in, in one lifetime, I'll never get there. And you say, of course you'll never get there. It surpasses anything that you can ever imagine. And His love, it, it, you're... You are not able to even be separated from the great love that he has shown. Now, let's. Um, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So turn there with me real quick. And I want you to see something. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15. Because as Paul prays this, he's certainly longing to see these things to be true of these people, and then the change that takes place. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 20. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What is he saying? He's saying this love dominates us. It controls us. It moves us. It causes us to move forward as ambassadors for Him. 
to speak on his behalf. It, that's what happens when the love of Christ grips us. It causes us to grow in a love for others and to reach out to them and to impact them in a powerful way. So he continues in this, going back to Ephesians here, and you see this kind of prayer that they might be filled with the fullness of God. It has the idea of maturity, that they might be filled and overflowing so that as the depths go down, like and they're plunged down into the depths and they're growing, it produces something. As the roots go deeper, then it, it comes up, it goes through the tree, out to the branches, and produces fruit. They are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Do you, do you spend time, I guess you could think about this and think, are we spending time purposefully praying that people would grow up into maturity and be complete like God? And you say, well, that's impossible. But are they moving towards Him? Are, are they growing in their knowledge of Him and their ways? Are they walking in ways that would be pleasing to Him? Now, he concludes this prayer with a doxology. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus Throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What's he saying? He's saying, God, like whatever prayer I could pray will never compare to what you can do. And what you do do and how you do work. According to the power that's work, at work within us. He's saying, listen, there's so much to be tapped. Like, it's just like it never runs dry. And I think for us, we have to look at this thing and say, hold on just a second. Is he saying that, that our prayers can never really be big enough, great enough to really grasp the, the, the work that he wants to do with his people? As you go to 4, 5, and 6, he's going to say, this is what this looks like when someone knows and lives out these things. This is what it's going to look like. This is going to look what it looks like in their attitudes, in the relationships in the church, in the work that they're doing, in their marriage, in their child rearing, in, in, in the way that they speak to one another. This is what it will look like. It will look like a supernatural life. It will look like not like the present age. It will not just be about their own gain or it will not just be about uh, their marriage being about them and it will not just be about raising children that obey and walk in, in certain ways just for their own like uh, ease and comfort. It will look different. It will not just be about working so that you can build bigger barns. It, it will not be to try to like steal from someone when they're not looking. It looks like Sharing with others. It, it looks different. It looks different in the way that you use your words. And I mean, the list goes on. And he's saying, listen, I'm praying that not only the first prayer that they know, but also that they live. And God, I know that I can exhort people to live in this way, to embrace these things. But you have to do that. Like for Christianity to, 
in all the truths of Christianity to be activated in someone's life, God, you've got to do it. Because some people say, you know, well, I mean, I just became a Christian and then I learned what to do and I just did it. Really? Then you're not doing it. You know, I mean, because there's a constant prayerful like thing of saying, God, make that true in my heart. May that be filled up and full, like overflowing. May it be explosively coming out of me. May you continue to do this kind of enamor me by your love. Like let that become so central in my life. And, and I have to be honest, I mean, I need to be praying that more. You need to be praying for me more. You need to pray for yourself more. We need to say, let me see the fullness of the love of Christ. Let that compel me. May I be overflowing. And it's never really at the level it needs to be. And so God, I know by your grace is the only way this can happen. I know by your power, that's what I need. I need you to do it. It's, it I, I can get there in place, I mean, to a place where I'm like, Say to myself or say to you, and then I have to get on my knees and say, God, you have to do it. You have to bring renewal. You have to bring revival in the heart. You have to change us. God, we need your grace to be changed. We, we do not need to be this year where we were last year or last week or yesterday. And Paul is going to be praying that these things would be activated in their life. And then he's going to demonstrate what that looks like when that happens. That's what he's going to do in 4, 5, and 6. What does it look like when that happens? How's it going to change stuff? It will not look like the abnormal Christian life that most of us live. It will look different. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are needy people and we know it. It it never ceases to amaze me how truly needy we are. And so we just pray by your grace and for your glory that you would let us see and savor what you've given to us. We need you to help us see it in a way that it, it so compels the vision of our hearts that it works itself out in, in every aspect of our lives. Lord, that seems insurmountable. And, and so we say to you today, you are the only one able to do these things. And we know if you are for us, who can truly be against us. So we pray for this powerful work to be done in and through us. And that it would be passed down from generation to generation to generation. 